Tim and Wayne. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. This is Wayne. And this is Tim. It has been forever since I've seen you guys. It's been a full seven days. Oof. Well, a six, really, for... No, it has been seven. It's yeah, Monday. M- math. <laughs> math is hard. Yeah. It's hard. But yeah, you know, we are uh, we are a week back from uh, ManCon 2018, uh, where we had uh, six game sessions of uh, various role-playing and board games, plus uh, drinking and eating and guys hanging around each other. It was, it was a great trip. I think we have really gotten good at uh, doing this ManCon thing. I had a blast, guys. Well, so hold on. I, I noticed you paused in between board games as if you frowned down upon them. You're like, role-playing games and board games. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I would never play a board game in lieu of a role-playing game, but that apparently is not an issue for some people, Paul. No, and the the other two guys on the podcast were also in that game, and it was fun, Aaron. Yes, it was. I'm glad to hear it, Paul. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell them a little bit about your board game? Board game. (laughs) So it was, it was shoots and ladders? <laughs> Just the shoots. Um, so we played, uh, in one of the slots, we played The Thing, uh, Infection at Outpost 31 from Mondo Games. And uh, we had a lot of fun with it. Um, it it's, uh, it, I think, Wayne, maybe you compared it to, someone compared it to like a Battlestar Galactica game that I'm not familiar with. Yeah, it has a trader mechanism. So that was why we kind of compared it to Battlestar Galactica because it was the uh, previously Battlestar Galactica was the best trader mechanism I've seen for a board game, but I thought the thing did a much better job of it. Yeah, it was it was a ton of fun, it, it, you know. And and as someone I've not played Battlestar Galactica, but it was almost it was almost like Clue. <laughs> um, you know, you go to different oh, yeah. rooms, you solve That's... different missions. Uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. So it's like Clue, huh? Except, uh, except uh, Colonel Mustard could be an outer space alien. Exactly. Right. <laughs> well, and Colonel Mustard has an impact on whether the rest of the people succeed in the game or not. Yeah, Colonel Mustard or Wade tied up in the observatory. Yeah. yeah there, there are different mechanics that you can, if you feel someone is a traitor, you can tie them up. Not, I mean, not like literally tie them up, but in the game, it, you can tie them up so that they don't join you on missions or I kinda like that, that kind of thing. I, I kind of like the idea, that meta idea of literally tying up the other player. <laughs> And then, you know, you get your sock with a roll of quarters in it and you just work them over until they confess. <laughs> so I, I like this game of yours, Paul. See, I think one of the most amusing things about the game was we came to the conclusion that Wade was a uh, an alien. So we played cards to make sure he never got to play the game. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the rest of us enjoyed that game. Except for Wade, <laughs> who pretty much had to sit out 90 percent of the game once we realized he was the alien. He did remind us, though, that he did win. <laughs> yes. Yes, he did. The I've, heard that, I've heard that three times in a week. <laughs> uh, uh, well, you know, uh, speaking of board games and, and those kinds of things, I don't know if you guys know this, but the uh, the season two or whatever second part of season one of The Toys That Made Us dropped this week on Netflix. Ooh, I am really curious to hear what toys it works. I didn't watch any of the first one, except I was in a toy store and they had that playing on a, uh, they have like a projector with a big screen up there. 
and they were playing the uh, the GI Joe one. They're and all. It was fascinating. Yeah, they they they. I would say they're not all great, but they're at least all good. Um, my favorite. Well, yeah. Like, for instance, the the Barbie documentary was a lot more interesting than I ever thought it would be. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the, the first season was He-Man, which was my favorite. Uh, Star Wars, Barbie, and G.I. Joe. And now season two has dropped, and it has another four episodes. Um, Star Trek, Transformers, Lego, and Hello Kitty. Are, oh, wow. I have to watch this, some of these today. Transformers and Lego. Yeah, I saw the Star Trek and Transformers ones yesterday. And, uh, you know, I, I they are, I would say the Star Trek one is interesting, but the Transformers one is really, really good. But I, I thought you should be aware because, Aaron, you would probably appreciate that Star Trek one. Yeah, I, I watched it on Friday night. Oh, you did? Uh, yeah, and I will have words for that on our next episode of Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that, I got to be honest, guys. That was not an intentional plug for Star Trek with Aaron and Polly, but it turned into well, one. Well, not for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but definitely check it out. Uh, Toys That Made Us uh, is now on Netflix. And if you are a toy fan like we are, um, they also dropped Making Fun, the story of Funko, which is uh, a, a, f- a feature-length documentary about Funko, not just the Pops, but how they started the company. Um, you know, they started as a bobblehead company, like not Pops, but like just regular type bobbleheads um, for uh, Big Boy, that Bob's Who Big Boy it? chain. Who was it that was telling us, Paul, about uh, their trip to the Funko Pop factory? I think Andrew was telling us, not about their was trip, it? but about that he's, he read an article about someone's trip to the Funko factory. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was uh, that was that was wild. Yeah. And they, they, they you know, they go into the making of the Funko factory and the fandom and, and that kind of thing. And it's a pretty interesting documentary. So if you if you like the toys that made us definitely worth checking out, making fun. Um, also, again, Netflix. Uh, I think it dropped around the same time frame. But if you want to get out of the house, or even if you just want to watch a bootleg copy in your house, Deadpool 2 is out in theaters. It came out while we were at ManCon, so we did not get a chance to talk about it. So I figured we'd spend time, some time this morning talking about the sequel. Um, I finally got a chance to see it the other day. Uh, I think Wayne and Tim, you guys have seen it as well, right? Yes. Yeah, I had to see it pretty much as soon as I got back from Mancon. It was it was on my uh, list of I have to see right away. So, well, Wayne, since you were so excited to see it, did it meet your expectations? Oh, it exceeded him. I loved it better than the first one. So one of the th- one of the things I got to say about this movie is how do they make this movie and not get sued? <laughs> what do you I mean? mean? Like the parody laws only go so far. <laughs> <laughs> things like mentioning. Uh, Mentioning DC Universe, showing a Green Lantern script, yeah, they, things they, like that. Yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. That's 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 most of it. <laughs> yeah, they definitely, you know, they they bring in a lot of parody, a lot of references, a lot of Easter eggs. I I, I didn't mind the DC references, and it's it's funny how like hardcore they joke on that Green Lantern movie because it's it's not great, but it's not horrible. It's, oh no, no it it's horrible. horrible. No, it's, it's horrible. horrible, Paul. It's not as bad as the Angley Hulk movie. 
No, okay. it's I, it, no, no. I will give Paul that. It's that's not as Angley Hulk. That's not that's not true because there are redeeming qualities to the Angley Hulk film. Oh, oh, oh. no, no, there aren't. <laughs> yes, there are. When when Hulk is beating up on the uh, the army tanks, those are great shots. When Hulk is is becoming stronger and bigger because he's getting madder, those are nice elements to the Hulk. Whereas there is nothing, literally nothing redeeming about the Green Lantern film. I it didn't have Hulk dogs. <laughs> I don't mind the Green Lantern movie. Now I don't rewatch it, um, uh, but I, you know, it, it's I give it better than Batman Forever and uh, Batman and Robin. <laughs> but anyway, we're not talking about Green Lantern. We're talking about Deadpool two, um, and so uh, I got to say, I think my, I and a lot of people are saying this. As much as I I liked the movie and I, I did like Deadpool two a lot, I think I enjoyed it just as much as the first. Um, I think my favorite aspects of it were Cable and um, Domino. I thought they were great. I was I was a little pissed off with how. And Aaron, I'm sorry if you want to take your headphones off or if you just don't give a shit. I'm gonna. No, I'm fine. I'm gonna. I, I'm not gonna see it till it hits Blu-ray, which is gonna be what three, four months from now. So I will have completely forgotten this conversation. <laughs> I, I was a little pissed off at how they treated Shatterstar because yeah, I like Shatterstar. Yeah. <laughs> The rest of X Force I didn't care about that didn't make it, but him I was angry with. Like he's actually a founding member of X Force in the comics. Yeah. So I kind of thought that they would give him like due treatment, given you know that the, the, they they clearly you know they they make um a couple of Rob Liefeld references in the movie and <laughs> given their love of of Liefeld and bringing Cable into it, I kind of figured Cable yeah. Domino Shatterstar like okay 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 and then like he went out like a bitch. Yeah, and they hired yeah. Louis Tan for that role. It's not a nobody that they hired for that that thirty seconds he was on the screen. Yeah, that's kind of crap test. I I, I I loved all the Liefeld comments though. Yeah. Well, uh-huh. You look like you were designed by somebody who doesn't know how to draw feet. <laughs> I I I literally laughed the entire movie. Yeah. It went from ridiculous laughter to chuckling, and it it was a roller coaster. That it was because it was all... the. Okay. I said it also had by far the best mid credit scene of any movie. Yeah, they so. Wow. Yeah. Uh, no. Unlike unlike other Marvel movies, you don't have to stay all the way to the end of the credits. This has two mid credit sequences um, that are that are definitely worth staying for, though. Oh, yeah. But I, you know, I I, I was worried at the beginning of it because I kind of thought, wow, this is a bit more serious than the first Deadpool. But then it does, you know, it like like Wayne says, it does kind of like go back and forth between like outrageous hilarity and like more serious aspects. Cable kind of plays his part straight for the most part, Josh Brolin. And, you know, it's funny to me that Josh Brolin is in so many big franchises this year. And I say so many. He's in two of the big, you know, he's in Deadpool and he's in Avengers Infinity War and he's the main, kind of one of the main characters in both. Um, But I thought he did a bang-up job as Cable. And I actually, I used to love Cable back in the 90s, uh, you know, drawn by, like, Rob Liefeld and John Mm -hmm. Jr. and Greg Capullo back in those early X-Force days. Yep, you give me a Cable and a Bishop, like, in one book, and I'm like, I'm there. I'm still there. Um, so here's where we show that I don't know actors. Who is he in Infinity? He's Thanos. They oh, call him. I did not he, realize he calls him that in the movie. Yeah, he actually <laughs> he says. did. I didn't get why he called him that either. Oh, that's why. That makes sense now. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. yeah, as far as as far as Josh Brolin goes, the like 
I think he makes two jokes. I think the entire movie. Yeah. And they're so powerful because he doesn't make any. And he's just he's just the lone man on the island of insanity. So like the one or two times he does he does say something funny. It was pretty good. Now I just so we say- mentioned uh, him and Domino. Domino was incredible. Yeah, I thought Domino like, was I fantastic. Was, I wasn't sure how they were going to do her power on screen. And they made her really badass. I could not have been happier with Domino. Yeah, they did a really great job with with her and capturing the essence of the character without actually just you know straight up ripping it off of the comic page. So I I liked it. And I'm you know they're they're saying that X Force is next. You know instead yeah, of I'm, Deadpool three, and I'm good with that. This was very much like the Deadpool movies are essentially X Men movies in some ways. And I got such a kick out of a couple of the X-Men related scenes. So the uh, when Deadpool's doing his uh, complaining that they've never there are never any other X-Men there. And you see the (laughs) that actually was new footage. So like some of the stuff, the mid credits stuff was, you know, cut from previous movies and things that was they actually got the cast of Dark Phoenix to shoot a scene for Deadpool. And that was the scene. Yeah, that was a funny sequence. I, that, I, I, the whole Colossus Deadpool relationship is hysterical. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's just so funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's so hard to talk about this movie because it's just it's just one big laugh fest. Like you can point out parts of it, but then you're telling jokes to people. Yeah. Well, I, and, guess, uh, I guess the main storyline is, if we can call it that, that um, Deadpool is trying to find something to live for um, after after a tragedy that happens in the movie. And Cable comes back in time to take out the thing that he finally fixates on as being the, the thing to live for. That that's the that's the crux of the of the, of the problem, basically. And. Um, I don't know. It, it makes sense because that you know when you have somebody like Cable, you're going to have to deal with stuff in the future. I just don't know. I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, well, all the stuff with Dark Phoenix and all the stuff in the other X Men movies, I'm sure, have, has impacted that future as well. But yeah. I don't know. I you don't need a whole lot of plot i'm i'm going to say and i don't mean that i don't mean that wrong you you don't need a big meat you don't need a whole lot to you just need to put these people on screen basically yeah deadpool movies are character movies yeah there's a plot yeah there's stuff going on but it's really about just seeing deadpool on the screen and giving him a chance to do one liners and that's one of the things i love about seeing some of the characters in there i uh, this Maybe a bit of a spoiler, but I loved uh, Juggernaut. Yeah, I, I I like seeing Juggernaut I, on the big screen. Before going in, I had no idea he was going to be in the movie. I figured it out as soon as I heard the name Black Tom. But seeing well, Juggernaut on the we, screen was just a. I mean, he we saw him in X Men Three. Yeah, but this was Juggernaut. That wasn't Juggernaut. Well, and I'm kind of surprised, like. There was no acknowledging that, you know, given that nothing seems off limits with Deadpool, even reference the the reference to X-Men Origins Wolverine. I'm kind of surprised they didn't make a reference to the fact that like Juggernaut's already been on screen, you know, played by Vinnie Jones. And so it was interesting to me that 
they just kind of did away with that version without talking about it. And I get that that version has technically been written out of history, um, thanks to Days of Future Past or whatever. But um, I just was kind of surprised. Yeah, I kept expecting a joke about it. But if you like the first Deadpool, you're definitely... I mean, we don't need to tell you to watch the second Deadpool. We've probably already seen it. Yeah. Um, but it, it's definitely worth watching. You know, Aaron, you, you mentioned waiting till Blu-ray to see it. Um, now, here's the thing. It, it is it is a great film. It is... I don't think there's anything more spectacular about it than any other film. Like... I mean, it's got decent action, but it's not, like Wayne said, it's not really about the plot and that kind of stuff. It, it is yeah. more of like a comedy with, with you know, action bits. So it's you're not going to miss anything by waiting till Blu-ray for it, I don't think. Yeah, yeah there's nothing that has to be seen on the big screen. However, for me, it's my favorite movie of the year. Yeah, I really enjoyed the first Deadpool, and I watched it on Blu-ray. So I'm, I'm that that is, I will recreate that experience with the sequel. Well. Hope I'm I'm sure you know nowadays films come out on Blu-ray pretty quickly and I, I, you yeah. know, I think uh, Infinity War comes out relatively soon. I saw I saw they well, were taking pre-orders for it already. Black Panther is still at the theater down the street from me, and I have watched it twice on Blu-ray this week. <laughs> Just, I mean, it, it cracks me up that that movie is still out. I mean, they've got it like practically on a double feature with uh, Infinity War right now. See, that's one I still need to see. But I didn't. I was thinking about renting it this weekend, but I never got a chance. I haven't seen it because that was one that was obviously a I have no problem waiting for DVD for it because I'm not a fan of the character. I never have been. And the previews didn't sell me the next movie we're going to talk about. I debated on doing the same thing because I'm not a huge fan of the character. How can you not be a fan of Han Solo? <laughs> because I like the Jedi stuff. <laughs> Uh, well, that's like I get it. I you you can like both. You don't have to be. It, this isn't uh, uh, what's that? The hell's that? Uh, this isn't Twilight. You don't have to pick <laughs> one camp over the other. <laughs> no, but he's Team never Jacob. been a character that jumps out at me in the movies. He just mm. that's not the part of the universe that I enjoy. I enjoy the big Jedi stuff. Yeah, no, I get you. I get you. I get you. I like Chewbacca. <laughs> well, I guess we all saw Solo, a Star Wars story this weekend or, um, you know, throughout the weekend. Uh, it is uh, unfortunate that it, it is not setting the box office aflame it, and everyone's... Paul, it is the lowest opening for a Star Wars movie ever. Ever. Well, and, Wow. Ever. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Well, and you know what the sad thing is? You know, and, and I think this, it, it's unfortunate that a couple of things are are, are against this film. And we'll talk about my thoughts or our thoughts on the film here in a minute. But no, we're only going to talk about your thoughts, Paul, because the world revolves around Mr. Palaponte. Well, yes, this is true. Um, but I'll share the spotlight today. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think this film was kind of doomed from the get go because the way that the press and and fans were like describing it, like, I mean, this film, you know, everyone was like, this film's going to suck. There's no reason for this film. This film's going to suck. It's going to bomb. It's going to flop. It's blah, blah, blah. Kathleen Kennedy needs to get fired, blah, blah, blah. And then the film comes out on Memorial Day weekend, which most articles are neglecting to mention is historically a bad weekend for movies. Um, and let's not forget also in theater still are Deadpool and Avengers Infinity War and other movies that have the same audience. Yeah. Fan, yeah. Fan yeah. base. Yeah. So it is not only competing with other films that are, you know, 
in the same wheelhouse, but it is also being released on a weekend that everyone's outside. Um, you know, like it, it, films do not do well. And just to, and you know, Disney has released films on this weekend. And don't get me wrong. Some of them aren't great films like Pirates of the Caribbean. The most recent Pirates of the Caribbean bombed on this weekend. The most recent Alice in Wonderland bombed on this weekend. John Carter bombed on this weekend. Um, you know, yeah, it, it that's is, what, that's what was wrong with John Carter. It opened on Memorial Day. <laughs> 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 the Pirates one says something because while the Pirates movies, the last one I'm sure probably wasn't very good. I didn't see it. The Pirates movies make money. Yeah. The fact that it bombed says something. It's just not a good weekend for movies. But regardless, you know, st- well, so liberal, and some of the advanced word was that it was were mixed reviews. But, Tim, you had some thoughts. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, uh, in general, I, when when was 84 million a bad movie? I, you, you know, I. It's only a bad movie because. They spent so much on it, I think, because so much went into the fact that they had to refilm 70% of this film um, that it, it cost more to make this than it cost to make The Last Jedi. Um, mm. And, you know, so it, they, they had to make Last Jedi money to make their money back. And, I, well, you know, here's and, the thing. There's still there are three weeks before any competition comes out for this movie. And they do expect a Star Wars movie to set a certain level of bank. Right. Yeah. I mean. I mean, even I mean, Rogue One, they expected at least Rogue One numbers out of this and probably expected more because it had to do with Han Solo, someone, you know, a character who rolls into the main part of the franchise. So the fact that it is performing so poorly in its opening weekend has got to just really uh, astound the the folks over at Disney. Yeah, I'm kind of with him. Like 84 million is low and it's number one at the box office. Yeah, and they're disappointed with well, it. It's and like, it's Ron Howard's wow. biggest opening ever. So yeah. you know, for him, he's like, "All right." And well, and again, there's when, no competition until June 15th when Incredibles two comes out. When I booked my tickets for Infinity War, uh, I bought them like you know Monday or Tuesday before the Saturday in which I went to go see it, and I got the last two seats in the theater. When I booked my tickets for Last Jedi, I did the same thing, and I could only get one seat. <laughs> you know, I couldn't I could not. And, and I wasn't seeing it at like seven o'clock at night. I was seeing it like four o'clock in the afternoon when I bought my tickets for solo. I bought them, I think, Tuesday or Wednesday. I think it was Wednesday because it was when I went back to work and I had the, I had my choice of seats in the theater. So, Aaron, I can beat that. I had a similar experience with the other two movies uh-huh. and I walked in and bought my tickets for solo there yeah. at the theater. I didn't buy them in advance. I had, I had my choice of seats. I had my seats dead center midway up my, my favorite place to sit in the theater and no one was sitting to my left. I had like four empty seats to my left. And I was just like, wow, you know, this, this really says something. And I do think, I think there is an element to it that, yeah, it's Memorial Day weekend, and a lot of people aren't thinking about being inside. They're thinking about being at the lake, barbecuing, etc. Um, but I think that there was enough reluctant word of mouth in advance because, you know, we all heard the stories that, you know, it was a problem set. It was a problem shoot. Uh, there wasn't a lot of fanfare leading up to it. Uh, it w- They did not set the best table for this film to be successful. And it's only six months after the last Star Wars film, too. True. So, you yeah, know, there, there's not, a little bit of fatigue already there. Yeah. But, I don't know about you guys, but I actually really enjoyed it. Um, you know, if it was up to me, I would have trimmed a good 20 minutes out of it. Man, it needed an editor bad. Yeah. Bad. In fact, 
uh, I won't spoil it just yet. We might save this for later. But, you know, in the, the big reveal at the end of the towards the end of the movie, you know, the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, um, I was like, Jesus Christ, if they're going to go chase down this guy, my bladder can't handle this. Because <laughs> I, I felt every minute of that 220 on this film. Yeah, uh, I I, I was just like, oh, Christ. <laughs> I remember when the movie was over, I looked at the time. I was like, wow, it's that late? I didn't realize the movie was that long. Oh, it, it felt very long to me. Yep, no, I, that was that was a bladder tap out for me. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, no, I, I can't deal. Yeah, yeah I um, <laughs> and here's the thing. I and, and you know, I, I want to hear you guys thoughts on it again. I really enjoyed it. I think if they had trimmed 20 minutes out of it, it would have been a great movie. I again, I enjoyed it, but I think with with uh, with editing on the pacing of it, th- there are because there are extraneous things that really could be lifted right out of the film. It would have kept the momentum going and been a really great film because I, I mean, there are really good aspects to this film. Yeah. So I went in with very low expectations. I went in with a thinking there was a good chance I wasn't going to like the movie at all, and I enjoyed it. Uh, I liked Rogue One better because I don't want to compare this to the main Star Wars movies. I want to compare it to like the side movies. Rogue One I loved. This one I enjoyed. See, I didn't like Rogue One, so I liked this better than Rogue One, and I liked it better than The Last Jedi, and I liked it better than the prequels. So, I, 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 you know, I, I think for me, and you know, and um, we're all generally around the same age. I, I feel like this really captured the spirit of the original trilogy for me. But Tim, go ahead. What were your thoughts? Um, I thought this was this is a solid movie. Um, I, I I I don't I can't I don't disagree with anything that was said so far. Um, let's see. Um, so I had I had a little bit of concern about about the lead actor because I think I think the thing he was in was a the last thing he was in was a vampire movie or something. It was it was it, there was concerns, but I I thought he did well. Um. I, I I granted that a couple of the lines were a little cardboard for me, but not not terrible. Um, let's see. Uh, who's that? Who's 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 Lando? Is the guy's name Donald Glover? Correct. Is that his name? Yes. Yeah. He was fantastic. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> he, was. he was spot on. He was spot on. You know, I read about that about how you know he's like, oh, I'm, he was very happy to get this role. He wanted this role. You know, he, he grew up, you know, wanting, you know, pretending to be Lando Calrissian. Like, he, yeah, fantastic. I I loved his droid, by the way, too. L three, L three was pretty was pretty amusing with those big old giant hips that they kept focusing on. um i uh so there's at one point where you you think it's going to be the iconic part where he wins the the falcon and then they they twist it on you where nope that isn't the part where he wins the the falcon um yeah i i I try to pinpoint things that i I like i i uh When he first meets Chewbacca and they're they're having they're having the fight in the pit, I really thought at first he wasn't speaking Wookiee, he was just choking. And it, 
I loved that idea so much where he like accidentally said something in, in, in that language because he's almost dying. I was like, oh, that's the best. And then they, oh no, he actually speaks Wookiee. I'm like, well, why didn't you try that? Like, I don't know, five punches ago. <laughs> so, I, uh, oh, and the other thing I'll say is anytime, anytime, and I, maybe it's just me, you get Woody Harrelson on a movie. It, it kind of bumps the grade a half grade for me. Usually, like, <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of a time it hasn't. Let's put it that way. So, um, I, I really liked him as like, uh, I can't remember the guy's last name, Tobias, where he's the the old salt in yeah, Tobias Beckett. Yeah, Tobias Beckett. He's the one that gives Han his blaster. I was like, oh yes. I I don't know how you you like Han Solo and and can't find good things in this movie. It was it was good. I'm not gonna say it's great, but it was a good it was a good movie. I'm glad I went and saw it in the theater. Aaron, you've been awfully quiet. <clears throat> I liked the movie. Let me say that. Um, <laughs> I, I think that there's a lot wrong with it, but there was more right with it than wrong. Um, it is very clear to me that there were uh, there were problems in the production. Um, I, you know, I. I I can't say that Ron Howard was the right director for this film. I think that that there is a lot wrong with the film that it, that a, the right Star Wars type of director would have fixed it. Um, there's a pay, there there are some pacing issues in the film. Um, you know, I went back and I and I watched Empire again this weekend, and you know that movie that, that movie moves so fast, and you know I think that's sort of the hallmark of a Star Wars film is is the pace. And it just this movie just plods along. You know, we talked about how it really needed about you know twenty minutes added out of this film, and I think that's that's really true because if I think if you tightened it up, you know, in, in audacity speak, if you truncated the silence, <laughs> um, you, you'd really buy yourself a, a tighter film. There are some other things that that bugged me about the movie. Um, the soundtrack was glaringly bad. Um, the, the only pieces of music that I thought worked in the film were those that were straight up homages to the John Williams original score. Um, unlike, uh, the soundtrack for Rogue One that Michael Giacchino did, he, the, 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 uh, the composer really did nothing to create any distinctive themes, distinctive tracks, um, I, I just, I really felt like the music did not live up to the role that it serves in Star Wars. And, you know, in the Star Wars films, music is huge and it just wasn't here. I was really looking for, you know, there, there is this 70s swagger that the character Han Solo has. And I was really looking for the music to kind of bring that. You know, to, to really bring this sort of swagger uh, to the sound as as the character grows into himself. And speaking of character, Han really doesn't have much of an arc in this film. And I was really looking for there to be more scoundrel to him because he's really this earnest good guy throughout the entire film. And you never get this. You never get to see the scoundrel piece. You never get to see, uh, you know, that guy. You, you know, you, you see him shoot first in the film, right, or shoot, but you never see, you know, him get an arc, you know, where he hardens. Because even after getting screwed over as bad as he gets screwed over in the film, still basically a good guy. And I just – I really wanted to see him 
you know, be a little darker. And they, 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 his character line is just flat all the way across, in my opinion. Last thing. One of my favorite characters on the screen visually is Rio, the four-armed Ardenian. Yes, I really liked him and was uh, pissed off that he didn't wasn't in more of the movie. Well, I, I really liked him visually. Um, I, I think he was written well, but John Favreau did the voice and brought nothing to it. Um, and I'm just I'm was frustrated by that because I really wanted something with a distinctive voice in that role. I wanted something like a Wallace Shawn, you know, the guy who played Nagus in uh, Deep Space Nine, or the guy who played the the attorney in uh, Princess Bride. You know, inconceivable. I wanted that kind of voice for him. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, he, he just John Favreau played it like, hey, I'm just playing John Favreau. Oh no, it, it was, was it was it was worse than that, Aaron. Because every time I saw that guy, I'm like. It was looking. It was like I had a transformer, and I'm looking at a GoBot because every time he's on the screen, I'm like, "That's Rocket Raccoon. This is Rocket Raccoon." He sound, <laughs> the, the delivery is like Rocket Raccoon. Why is it yeah. just Rocket Raccoon? Like, oh going God. back to my having no idea who actors are, I didn't know that he. That it was the same voice actor for Rocket Raccoon until you it's just not, said that. It's, it's not the it's same. It's not. Actor. Okay. But yeah. I have no idea who John Favreau you close is. Close your eyes. Uh, he was the bodyguard on Iron Man. Happy Hogan. Happy Hogan. Ah, okay. But he's more he's now nowadays he's more in the directorial side of things. But yeah. I'll I'll tell you what, you close your eyes and you just listen and it sounds it to me it was like it was damn near the same. Well, and so, there's I mean he brought no juice to it, right? I right. mean so there was nothing it just sounded like anybody doing a flat reading of any character. There just wasn't anything there, but visually I thought Rio was was a was a great looking character and his his death, sorry spoilers, should have had a much bigger impact on us on the screen because again, he looks great. He's written well, he's just acted poorly. So I had a minor pet peeve in the first moment of the movie. They've said all along they're not going to do the screen crawl for any of the side movies. That's fine. I like that they're doing something different. Yeah. But if you're not going to do a screen crawl, why have text up there to begin with? completely agree. And the text they had, you didn't need it for the movie. Right. You, yeah, no. you could get by without it. You know, the whole reason they did the screen call screen crawl in uh, New Hope was you needed to provide some context because it was a whole new world. Right. Mm -hmm. You don't need that in these films. You know, the 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 Star Wars stories don't require it. Don't don't do it. But, yeah, no, I'm right there with you, Wayne. The it was jarring to have a different format on the text. Um, I think you just go, you know, you, you hit it with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away and you just go into your story. Yeah. I, but again, uh, there's a lot wrong in this film. I liked it. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad I saw it. There are things to like here. Uh, it is just I feel like there are so many other opportunities where this could have been a better film. So yeah. the nitpicking geek in me was uh, I wasn't sure what I was going to think about the Millennium Falcon. The the piece they have on the front, the escape pod going back to it had the Falcon had a very minor cameo in one of the prequels and it didn't have that. And so going in, it's like, OK, well, it, that kind of makes sense where it's at. But. I hated this idea that the ship should always have had that, but that wasn't what they did with it. And I was mm -hmm. very happy that wasn't what they did with it. The The ship design, the Corellian freighter, does not have that escape pod as part of it. That was a after-factory addition. So 
I, that's such a such a minor thing, but I was happy when they make that comment about it that it was something added and it wasn't part of the ship design, yeah. even though visually it looks like it fits. So the fan in me really appreciated a lot of the references that they made throughout the film, whether it was Scarif or um, they made a reference at one point, you know, someone, uh, maybe it was Tim, was mentioning the 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 first uh, Sabak, Sabak, whatever, the game they played. Um, and, uh, you know, Han walks in and he's like, I have a VCX 100 ship. And everyone's like, ooh, that's a super fast ship. Well, if you're not familiar with the VCX-100, that is the same ship as the Ghost, which is the ship from Star Wars Rebels. Um, and there were a couple of Rebels references in here, especially, obviously, the fact that Darth... Or, yeah, well, now spoilers. Darth Maul <laughs> um, pops up at the end with his metal legs. Uh, and the timing of this would put it between the Clone Wars TV series and the Rebels TV series. Probably about, I'm going to guess, five, ten years before the Rebels TV series. So, you know, Darth Maul is still head of a crime syndicate before, you know, where he we see him in Star Wars Rebels. And so uh, that that was cool. You know, I think I'll, I wasn't expecting that. You know, I, I find it very interesting that they reference things that, um, you know, if you saw Star Wars Episode One, you'd probably be like, oh, Darth Maul. But, you know, if you see Clone Wars and Rebels, you're like, ah, yeah, like I know where this, you know, I, I know how this fits in the thread. And I, as a fan, I appreciated that. It was interesting that they had him ignite his lightsaber because throughout the movie, that was one thing I found interesting. I don't think they used the word force once in the entire movie. They had no no force users until that scene, no lightsabers until that scene. I loved seeing him there, but I found it very interesting. They were able to do the entire movie in the Star Wars universe without even saying the word force, which makes sense for Han's character. When Darth Maul showed up on the screen, you should have heard all the gasping in my theater <laughs> and all the, you know, there were a ton of little kids in, in my, in my screening and you know, all that you just hear all this oh, Darth Maul. <laughs> I mean, it had the impact that they wanted. Yeah. And, and, you know, little kids probably would be familiar with Darth Maul, not just from sure. episode one, but from the Rebels and the Clone Wars. Right. And so I, that was just a very cool reference for me. And unfortunately, I don't unless this film does well over the next couple of weeks, which if very well could, given the positive word of mouth, um, you know, stay pretty, stay at number one for the next three weeks, which it probably will, really. Um, you know, there there may be a sequel. There may be more references to Darth Maul in cinematic uh, you know, in, in the actual live action films, which I would appreciate. Well, um, it makes me there's wonder. a lot of plot left wide open that if they don't do a sequel, it's going to feel incomplete to me. Well, it makes me wonder if they're not setting Khaleesi up to be some sort of uh, additional Star Wars villain that, you know, maybe we see her in the red paint at some point. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm so I'm, I'm curious about that. Uh, even if it's not a direct follow-up to, even if it's not a Han Solo story, if it's some other sort of story that we, you know, we get to see her as 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 a bigger bad guy than she was in this film. You know, and I know we talked about Lando. I know we talked about, um, you know, the the Darth Maul, but Alden Ehrenreich, I think is his name. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. and I know you said you know uh, you you mentioned the music not having the swagger and no no real character arc, but I thought. 
I thought he did really good in the role. I liked you know him very yeah. much. And especially the last 20 or so minutes of the film, I thought he was spot on. I feel like the problems with the film had nothing to do with the actors on the screen other than John Favreau. Um, <laughs> well, he wasn't even on the screen. <laughs> well, but you know, you, you get my meaning. Uh, the, the, every, I, I mean, I, the, the voicing of L3, I thought was great. I enjoyed L3. Um, I, I thought that, you know, the guy who played Han Solo, I thought did, did an admirable job. I think, uh, uh, Donald Glover stole the movie. In fact, I need to see a Lando Calrissian movie now. <laughs> You know, yeah, that's he was the movie I want to see. He was by far the home run of the movie. Yeah. That guy's on I, top I, of the world right now with the you know, the new Childish Gambino album and the uh, the the Lando movie. Like that guy's doing doing pretty well. He's had a good summer, Mr. Glover. Next thing you know, he's going to be doing some Colt 45 commercials. Yes. <laughs> wouldn't that wouldn't that be the biggest slam dunk ever? You know, I'm kind of <laughs> surprised because, you know, they did the solo cup thing. Like, you would think they would have just, like, taken advantage of the Colt 45. <laughs> At the liquor serving theaters, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yes, I, I would actually like to see the continuation of the story and the continuation of the characters with a, with a, with a singular director, with a definitive vision in mind. And, you know, I know you say Ron Howard's probably wasn't the right guy for this. I think he would have been had he started. Yeah, no, I, I think that what Ron Howard does uh, when he's making a film is he does a tremendous amount of prep going into it. I mean, there's a reason why Apollo 13 works as well as it does, you know, because he did that prep work. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think I think the, the people who the, the person who is the most happiest about Ron Howard taking the, the directorial reins of this film is Clint Howard. Right. Yay! I get to work along those lines. For five seconds. I would have I would have preferred Clint Howard's voice for uh, Rio than yeah, John Favreau. That would have been perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Because I was looking for that kind of unique, nuanced performance versus just John Favreau reading lines. This should surprise no one. I have no idea who Clint Howard is, but I'm assuming he's related to Ron Howard. Yeah, yes. this is uh, older brother, I think. Yeah, he's in every one of his films. And Including... apparently so is Ron Howard's wife, which I didn't realize. I did not know that. Yeah, she's a good luck charm, he says. And you but, know, you know I, go ahead. I, I, I bagged on this movie, but I do want to go back to my original statement. I did like it. Yeah. You know, I just, I felt like, wow, they could have made a much better movie. Yeah, and I'll say one more thing for me. Um that I appreciated about this film and that I was talking about that it, it, the, 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 the feeling that it captured, even though it wasn't, you know, as good, but it captured that feeling of the original star Wars films in, in many aspects. And part of it was other than the, the four legged character or the four armed character, but there were some actual practical effects in this film. Not everything was CG. And I really appreciated that, especially at the beginning um, where there's that like worm creature that comes out of the water. And even though the scene is like super dark, like I had a hard time seeing it. I appreciated that that was a practical effect. Um, and so I, I, I liked that, that, you know, that, that kind of, um, you know, nostalgia element to it. So I enjoyed it. I, uh, I, I, I'm actually looking forward to seeing it again. I don't know that I will go again and see it in the theaters, uh, but I, I will see it again. Well, I, I will own a dumb Blu-ray. Oh yeah, and uh, yep, it'll sit, I, you know, it'll sit on the shelf next to Rogue One for me. And like Paul, I liked it better than uh, Jedi, and I liked it better than the prequels. But unlike Paul, I think Rogue One's a better movie. Yeah, I'm not a Rogue One fan. 
I love that movie. But lest you think that you are no longer listening to a comic book podcast, we thought that we would talk about a singular comic book this weekend. It's only because it is a big deal comic book. It is the conclusion of James Tinian The Force run on Batman Detective Comics. Um, this run that started with DC Rebirth. Uh, that's been bi-weekly. We, we've been talking about it. You know, the Cassandra Cain, the, the, the Batwoman, the uh, Stephanie Brown, the Asriel, the Batwing, the Tim Drake. I mean, all these elements that all of us have liked separately kind of combined into one book. And, and this is the concluding chapter of his run, Batman Eternal. And Wayne, did you read this one? Oh, yes. So this was a love letter to these characters and I would say all of these characters, but for me, especially Stephanie. Yeah. I mean, you could tell the guy loves all these characters and I don't know James Jane, the fourth, um, you know, his age necessarily, but I mean, he's gotta be in our wheelhouse age wise because you can tell these are the characters that he loved because he, he dedicates so much of the book to them. I was really sad when I, I realized that th- this was going to be and the end of this run because I've 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 for the most part has been a, a really good book. Detective has been a a must pick up for for over two years now for me. And but I will say that if it's going to end, this is the end I would want. Um, this is the this is the end where you feel hope that these characters are going to go on. And do things, even if they're not in the in the pages of this book or any book. The, you know, if this is the part where uh, I, I say, I, you know, I say goodbye to Cassandra Cain for a, a long time, I'm okay with that. If this is the part where I say goodbye to Tim Drake for a while, I'm okay with that. Um, the the writing was 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 tremendous, and it was there was a clarity to the voice of those characters that absolutely Paul, it rings back to when they, when they first came up in, in the, you know, in the early nineties and two thousands. Um, you know, you've really hit something there, Tim. It's like, I love Stephanie. I love Tim. And if we don't see them for a while, I'm okay with it because this is the ending I want for them. They did a really good job of wrapping this up and I'm happy with where they're at and where they're going. This felt very much like this read, I should say. It, should, it read very much like the series finale of a TV show. Mm-hmm. In that there are aspects that should they want to do a reunion show or a spinoff, there's aspects that could be turned into that. But in general, like it is a, it is a, a well-done conclusion. Everyone gets either a happy or a bittersweet ending. Um, and, you know, it, it genuinely wraps up all the threads that have been leading up to this point. So I thought it was great. Um, I, I, I didn't love exactly how the storyline wrapped up in reference to the, you know, the, the future Tim Drake OMAC stuff. I thought it wrapped up pretty quickly, uh, a, a little too quickly. Considering how long the storyline's been going, like it just seemed like from one page to the next, everything was resolved in that aspect, but once it got into the the denouement part of the book, um, you know, where everyone's kind of, you know, here's what happens next. Um, I, I love that aspect of it. So did any of you guys ever watch the TV show Leverage? Yes. So the end of Leverage, where they've got the overhead shot and everybody walks to the five corners and that, that's basically the end of the, of the series. It had a very similar feel to this <laughs> at the end of this. It's like... All right, and here we go. <laughs> and everybody went their own separate way. It was 
Ah, I, I, I loved I loved James Tinian's run on on Detective. Um, I the art on this book has been consistently good too as well. And I I well like I said well I'm sad to see it go. If it had to have an ending, this is the ending I would have wanted. So I have one art question about this. This is something that I've gotten in this book only. I don't read a lot with Bat Batwoman. Is she albino? No, because she's she just looks, very, very pale. Yeah, she is ridiculously pale compared to every other character in the book. So, like when I read these, well, in the she's last, a ginger. <laughs> she's a ginger, and that, and gingers are like that. No, gingers have freckles. <laughs> I, I think it was you know, I, I, one thing that really bothers me about the art is just her. Other than that, I love the art. I've loved the art in the the entire run that I've been reading of detective. She bothers me because she doesn't look right. You you know, I, I remember reading, well, I don't read, I didn't read the, the, the first couple issues when, when Batwoman came out, it must've been six, seven years ago, but she looked very pale then too. That that was an artistic choice that just became something that stuck, even though other artists have taken over. Yeah. And I like pale. It's just over the top with her. It doesn't look like a human shade outside of she really looks albino. It's over the top. Aaron, do you remember the name? J.H. Williams, right? Was the artist back then? Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah, and that was part of the original character design that he and Rekka struck upon. mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's prevailed. Even It doesn't look as good with other artists, but that's just something that stuck. Yeah. I, I did like the the callback when uh, Cassandra Kane is is quoting Shakespeare, and that's the that's the point where you, you find out that Clayface is still alive. Yeah, and and that's where he gets he, that's where he doesn't get to say goodbye, but that's where he he he's he sees her the last time and leaves yeah, a note. No, you know, so she yeah he she did knows. leave a note. Yeah, but it's a very solid book. Yeah. Um, and so if you have been a fan of this book, like we have, uh, some of the creative team, James Tinian IV and Alvaro Martinez, who, if you guys recall, was my nominee for favorite artist of 2017 um, for his work on Detective Comics, the Zaytana stuff specifically. Uh, those mm-hmm. guys are moving on to the new Justice League Dark book. Um, uh, and the, the Justice League Dark roster will be Zaytana, Swamp Thing, Man Bat, Detective Chimp uh, under the leadership of Wonder Woman. Um, written by James Tinian IV, art by Alvaro Martinez. I am very much looking forward to that book. Yeah, my initial thought was there's no way I'm picking this up, but you said Detective Chimp. Yeah. So I, I might now. You know, you mentioned that lineup, and I'm like, I don't want that lineup, but damn, if James Tinian doesn't write a good like team book now, it's like... yeah. I, I think it gets. I think it gets an issue where it normally wouldn't. I, I love Swamp Thing. I I don't think he works on a team. I completely agree. But but I, it's I, gonna get know. an issue because they're throwing Detective Chimp in there for me. Hey Paul. Yes. What's coming out next week? Um. Well, Aaron, something very big is coming out next week, and that's not just me stalling. Man of. <laughs> <laughs> It totally is him stalling. Yeah, but he said, but it's not just Tim stalling. Oh, no, man. I actually am aware that Man of Steel number one from Brian Michael Bendis, and I think Ivan Rice is the artist on issue one, is due out this coming week. So we'll get Ragey Redway and uh, uh, and Aaron next week. I, I wish you all the best on this journey. 
I, I am I, I am committing to buying one issue. Yes, I'm Same nervous, but I'm going to I'm going to give it a shot. No, I'm right with you. In one issue, yeah. Uh, one you issue. know, the other thing that comes out is the end of Justice League No Justice because issue four should come out next week. Yep, issue four comes out next week, as well as if you are a fan of Super Sons, the Super Sons Dino Mutt Special, which I know uh, sounds uh, ridiculous. Uh, uh, Dino Mutt and Blue Falcon teaming teaming up with. Uh, you know, are the the Super Sons, but it is in fact written by Pete Tomasi. So it, it you know, it's it's not like it's got just some fill in uh, writer. But yeah, Tim, like you mentioned, Justice League No Justice, as well as Doomsday Clock Number Five, actually About comes freaking out. time. Yeah, it's a, it's been a while. Um, well, I think now it's a bi monthly book, but or at least every six weeks. So kind of a a pretty significant bi monthly. Bi-monthly, it seems like buy and trade paperback. Oh! oh but it still it still comes out faster than the Star Trek mission crates. Yeah, uh, well, and uh, if you are a fan of Lando from the uh, the new Han Solo movie, there is a Star Wars Lando one-shot coming out from Marvel. Lando double or nothing. Um, and it, it looks like it's kind of done with the uh, Donald Glover lando uh likeness also marvel two in one number six where you know i know we uh we are remiss at the way that dr doom has been reverted back to his normal form in the pages of uh iron man however we still get good dr doom infamous iron man in marvel two in one issue number six this week Oh, and also Spider-Man number one, 800. Amazing Spider-Man 800. The, uh, one of the last issues of Dan Slott on the title. Very exciting. And that's it. Well, we will see you all back here next week for another very exciting episode of Funny Books with Aaron and Paul. Woo. Bye, everybody. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.